Coming up with Mikhail Bridges as the centerpiece to the new core, how the Brooklyn Nets can improve their short and long-term future in the upcoming draft. We dive in next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm, of course, Adam Marbrecht, breaking the New York football giants and the New Jersey Devils. And thanking you for making us your first listen. We're free on all those great platforms. And letting you know that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on and friends. We're going to get into what I think is now, as we're just uh, right about exactly a month away from the NBA draft. We know that there have been already a constant stream of speculation, not just around the Brooklyn Nets, but around the NBA overall. What teams need to make big moves, how playoff success or failures have impacted the outlook for certain franchises. And there's a world where the NBA, which can get pretty chaotic in the offseason and around the draft, that this may be one of the more seismic shifting offseasons for some high-profile teams, high-profile players. But for the Brooklyn Nets, we had fun. And over the course of this episode, we're going to talk about what I identify as being the new core of the Brooklyn Nets. And on that premise, how do you build around that core through the upcoming draft? But we've talked about the possibilities of trades, Portland and Dame Lillard coming to Brooklyn or Mikhail Bridges leaving Brooklyn. But as we've seen in the last week or so from a lot of high-profile individuals, uh, including John Hollinger from The Athletic, basically stating the Brooklyn Nets are not moving off of Mikhail Bridges. And that matches what Doug and I have talked about over the course of this offseason. It's fun to speculate on if a deal came across your table, could you be inspired to make that move? But the likelihood that any team reaches that threshold of what it would take for the Nets to make a move like that is pretty slim, I think, at this point, at least as it currently stands. And in that vein, I started thinking about, as we've done, and you'll start to see this around the network as we get into June, We do our mock draft around the NBA draft and and what could be expected. And while I can't get into all the details, short of saying you should keep your eyes open and ears open for that, it was informative around how many teams are looking to move up and down the draft board, which teams are valuing talent this year versus maybe next year, rookie prospects versus veteran supporting cast members. So it does give you a little bit of a roadmap around what the Nets maybe could accomplish. So the premise that I'm that I want to set up here is when you look at the Brooklyn Nets and we think about who is the core going forward. We know it's Mikhail Bridges. Let's that's the lock it up. Let's not debate it anymore. With that being the case, we also then know that Cam Johnson. Let's assume that the contract is getting signed and he's going to be here right alongside Mikhail Bridges. Okay, check that box too. So now you have two of your new core. The last player when I look at the roster is Nicholas Claxton. 
Now, it's interesting that some people have started to throw him into trade discussions. If you could acquire player X, would you put Claxton in there? Would you accept pick number 10, number 15, number four, if it was a package that include X, Y, and Z? But I just have to believe that the Brooklyn Nets, who have seen a 23, going to be 24-year-old, continue to take the next step in his growth and his development and what he can be as a player, it'd be really hard for me to think now that they've moved off of the superstar era, now that time is certainly more on their side, that they would all of a sudden say, this is when we'll move off of Claxton, knowing as well that we have an entire season and then an off season before we're talking about Nicholas Claxton and his upcoming contract. So there it is. Those three players to me represent the new nucleus. And this is not an ironclad, there's no more questions to be asked from me personally when it comes to Cam Thomas. Yeah, we know. There's a million questions about how the organization feels, about whether or not Cam Thomas can develop into X if they want him to be a part of it going forward. But let's leave that out of this discussion for right now because there's too many unknowns around it. We know that Ben Simmons has $40 million on the books here and he's not going anywhere for two years. And yes, we can dream on him being healthy and being a contributor to this new court. But let's let's live in reality. Until he steps on the court, it doesn't matter. So we push these guys away and we say the core that we have that we believe in over the next one, two, three, four seasons because we assume Claxton will get that next contract from Brooklyn is Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Nicholas Claxton. And Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be here in the short term, but maybe there's a path forward where there's some movement around him. Veterans like Joe Harris, who just has $20 million and not a lot of athleticism left in the tank. Patty Mills, aging veteran who received an unpalatable contract, looking back on it now from Sean Marks. And then a couple of veterans like Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, that specifically, depending on when you look at the timeline, were brought in potentially to serve as supporting members to the Kevin Durant era and maybe don't have that same role anymore. And what we'll talk about coming up next here is specifically around those the four players that I mentioned on the back end there. Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and Patty Mills. Because I believe that there's a path forward when we look at the draft and we think about the Nets being at 21 and 22 and having two options as far as improving this team, improving this roster. And I think that when you look at those players and look at where the salary cap is for Brooklyn and wanting to maybe help offset that Cam Johnson contract, wanting to shift a little bit younger and bring in some developing talent that you think can grow alongside of these players that in two years will be entering the pure prime of their careers. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nicholas Claxton, a little bit further away. That it becomes either one of, from each category, the valued veterans, Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, the non-valued veterans right now, the, the, uh, dead weight on the roster in Joe Harris and Patty Mills. Pick one from each category, try to push them together, and try to find a way to move off of them in the vein of improving your team. And when we look at the NBA draft and going through this mock with the network, you start to get a sense of, of where things lie. And a lot of people have seen it as you can look at you know one, two, and three. Hey, those are clear cut. That's their own category. 
Then you go four through, you know, eight or nine, maybe, maybe even to 10. That has a tier to it. The teens also has their own kind of area, the space that they're living in. But there were some informative things that came out of just these mock discussions that can tell us how the Nets need to approach this draft if they want to try to accomplish as much as possible on the books and on the court. And we'll get all into excuse me, all of that coming up in just a minute, as well as a couple of names, by the way, prospects that I've liked as I've been going through the process, guys that are everywhere from inside of the top 10 all the way to maybe late surgers coming up the draft board who are outside of ESPN's top 25. But by the time we get to the draft next month, we can be talking about these players being inside of the top 15. So there's still a long way to go and a lot of movement that we're potentially going to see. But we can start to put the framework in place and we'll dive in on that strategy of moving veterans and moving around the draft board in a moment. After, of course, we tell you about our friends as we mentioned at the top of the show prize picks oh you know that we've talked about prize picks before it is the easy way as you know to go ahead and get in on some daily action without having to worry about going up against all those sharks you just pick two to six players and you choose whether or not they will score more or less than their prize picks projections and you can win up to 25 times your money on a single entry Again, no competing against other people, just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you can watch, includes the NBA, which is going on right now. Take uh, Nikola Jokic, probably go over on rebounds. Uh, that feels easy to me, right? Go over on points for Jamal Murray, right? You can put these things together and have a heck of a lot of fun around the NBA playoffs. Also, the NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and so much more. You go ahead and download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, they're going to give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50. You can do the math all the way down the line. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. Excuse me, as I clear my throat one time. Now, when we now turn our attention to how this team can improve going to the draft, there are two schools of thought around what the Brooklyn Nets may want to accomplish. And one thing that I was informed by this mock scenario is that there is some appetite from teams around the league around Dorian Finney-Smith and around Royce O'Neal. The question becomes, with 21 and 22, is it better for Sean Marks to say, well, what I'd like to see happen here is find one prospect that I like at 21 and then move 22 off, right? It's been speculated. Can I get an unprotected or a lottery protected pick in a future draft? Which means I can get all the way up to 15 potentially, depending on which trade partner I find. And in doing so, you increase the likelihood that you find a talented player that you can add to the mix. And we know that the Nets also don't have control of their own first round picks still for another couple of seasons. So there's an element of that where I can get myself a more valuable piece that I have control of sooner. If you pick, if you push it back to say just next year's draft class. But the other way that you could look at this is Dorian Finney-Smith was said to have had two first round pick value at the trade deadline. 
does that value still exist is the first question that needs to be answered. And do the Brooklyn Nets, does Sean Marks think that if it's maybe waned down to just one first round pick now, could it be two first by the time you get to the deadline in season? A very team friendly contract, just 13 million on the books. But if you could package a Dorian Finney-Smith and throw in a Patty Mills contract and all of a sudden approach $20 million of cap relief while moving from where? From 21 up into the top 10 potentially, whether or not these are concrete speculations, I've at least had enough discussions with hosts around the uh, Locked On Network to suggest that Dorian Finney-Smith in 21 gets you up the board substantially. And if it gets you up the board substantially, you can start thinking about potentially maybe a player and some of these guys that I've been talking about mentioning prospects in a guy like Anthony Black right now. He's currently listed on ESPN's big board out of Arkansas, eighth overall. There's going to be some movement there around it, but he's a guy that I think has length, right? Has a skill set on ball, still has to work on strength, still has to build up muscle as a lot of young prospects do. But there's a clear talent there relative to where the Nets are going to be at 21 and a player that could come in and have an immediate impact. So you can shed 13 million, shift your pickup, and go get that guy. You can do the same thing with Royce O'Neal, by the way. But with his just north of 9 million, you start to speculate how much movement can we get done here? The other direction that the Nets could go, if we use kind of these, these two scenarios, and I said it before. Pick any two, right? One from category A, Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. One from category B, Joe Harris and Patty Mills. The guys in category B don't get you anything back. It costs you something to unload them. But another way that the Nets could do this is make a marginal move back in the draft. You could go ahead and say, I have pick number 22, and I'm looking to unload Patty Mills. And that's $6.8 million over the next two seasons. Or I have one year left with Joe Harris, but I have the Cam Johnson contract coming in, and I really want to have that $20 million clean and clear so that I don't get myself into any deeper of potential holes here, knowing that I can't do anything with Ben Simmons' money right now. If you go from 22 to the back end of the first round, if you go from 22 all the way out of the first round into next year's draft, you may be able to unload $20 million you may be able to stay in the first round and unload $6.8 million in Patty Mills and still be able to go out and get yourself a prospect. And I think the question now becomes, how far is Sean Marks willing to go in this new core era? Because we're mentioning these guys, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, and then problems on the roster like a Joe Harris, like a Patty Mills. But if you go back in and you look at this roster in totality, yes. Is there another viable player in Spencer Dinwiddie that certainly could be discussed in trades? 100%. The problem is, and people may not love to hear this, that I don't think that Spencer Dinwiddie is necessarily going anywhere. I think that he might also be representative of that restabilization that the organization wanted to have in the post-Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving era. Now, knowing that he's coming into the final year of his contract and he's making $20 million, you could say it's not worth carrying that and that he can't, he's not going to be the long-term point guard. And I agree with that. I don't necessarily, you know, look at him and say, 
you can't bring him back on an, on another deal. It can't be for 20, 25 million, right? He can't be making close to what Cam Johnson's going to make. If you believe in the hierarchy of, of expectations on Cam Johnson pairing with Mikhail Bridges. But if you find the right price point on a three-year deal and you go in and you find ways to add more talent at the point guard position, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie can still have a role here. So I stopped just short of adding him into the mix of, of players that could be discussed simply because the balancing act that needs to be struck here is getting younger, bringing in new talent, feeling like over the next couple of seasons you're still going to be competitive and making the playoffs getting through the play-in tournament, et cetera. And, not, and, and you have to have some veterans there to do that, right? You have to improve this roster in certain ways in order to accomplish it. And that's why I think it becomes, if you move Dorian Finney-Smith, then you probably keep Royce O'Neal. If you move Royce O'Neal, then maybe you keep Dorian Finney-Smith. The Joe Harris, the, the Patty Mills of it all, those are things you want to move on from. But we already know Seth Curry is going to be gone from here. We don't know what to expect, as we mentioned at the top, around a Cam Thomas going forward. Edmund Sumner is still under contract. What does he look like? The players that didn't get any run when it came to playoff basketball, Yuta Watanabe, by the way, right? Like there's all these kind of names just floating around that we got excited about and liked, but do they matter as much now going forward potentially as unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, final year of contracts, big money on the books. What do they look like now for this team? So I think the Nets will try to pull the trigger on at least one of those two trade packages. And I think the more likely of the two is something that we can discuss coming up here in a second. What is more likely for the Nets to accomplish? And what do I think they should accomplish? And it'll also include highlighting another couple of players here when we think about the NBA draft and where this team can go in terms of talent, because I mentioned there at the top in building this new core around Mikhail Bridges and in looking at the draft, there are a couple of players here that if the Nets were to stand pat at 21 and 22 and maybe trade one of those, but if they're going to be picking in that, in that area there, they may have to do a little bit of work in order to secure a player that I think really fits what they want to do or has the upside that they want to lean into. So we'll mention another couple of names here in addition to Anthony Black that I really liked. We'll use some of those mock scenarios from the network just to kind of inform it. It's not how it played out on draft night, but it does tell us that certain talents are rising in the eyes of NBA teams. And the Nets are going to have to do some work if they want to make a big move here. Let's dive in on the most likely of outcomes here and what I think they should do. So you have Royce O'Neal, you have Dorian Finney-Smith. Their combined contracts get you north of $22 million. You have Joe Harris and Patty Mills. Their combined contracts get you north of 26 almost $27 million. And, and, and these different combinations, they can clear anywhere from 13 to $33 million off their books. Sorry, 17 to $33 million off their books because the lowest level one is, say, like a Royce O'Neal, Patty Mills combination. And these can involve multiple teams, by the way. It doesn't need to be that Team X takes on both of their contracts. You get a third team involved. You have a second-round pick get thrown into the mix for a Royce O'Neal deal that goes ahead and passes along as some compensation for picking up the money of Patty Mills, right? There's ways to facilitate those trades. And there was plenty of discussion around this on the network 
and more specifically, I'll say with Royce O'Neal because he fits more teams' molds. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with the Golden State Warriors, right? Doug Norrie very accurately brought up, and it actually has come to fruition. So, Pat, if you hear or see Doug on the internet, give him a virtual pat on the back because he was kind of on the front foot of the Kaminga possibility and potential, and that certainly has picked up more steam. And now when we've had some conversations with the Locked On Warriors, They've said, yeah, if we were looking at it, Dorian Finney-Smith doesn't fit the mold, but Royce O'Neal could, right? And if we want to go down that road, then it becomes about what picks and compensation, et cetera. Another way, too, just when we think about the Nets improving themselves is looking at the possibility of adding veteran talent from around the league. The biggest problem there to me, and I'll use Golden State as the example because we've heard a lot about Jordan Poole. Could Jordan Poole be an option? And we want it, and we can go inside the Brooklyn Nets and say, the Nets do take and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and put him on the table because the money works. Yeah, but I don't know if Jordan Poole making $34 million three, four years from now is necessarily the commitment that the Brooklyn Nets want to make in this moment, right? So there's no point in shedding money if you're just going to keep piling it back on. The Nets' goal here is to bring down the cap number, get younger, get talent in, and still feel like you can stay competitive in the Eastern Conference for the playoffs. Like, that is the overall goal here. And you can see how, in discussing with other hosts, where the pushback is going to come, right? Hey, that's a young player. We're not ready to give up on them yet. We want to hold on to them. We want to shed off a contract that we think is a little bit bloated here that still has certainly value. But, you know, we want to move the numbers around, knowing that we have other deals that we're going to have to manipulate and restructure as we move forward. So there are those possibilities. But if on the Brooklyn Nets, I mentioned Anthony Black, I'm going to mention a guy like potentially Jordan Hawkins out of UConn, which wasn't like among my, I'm not going to put him among my favorites. Taylor Hendricks, though, out of UCF. I liked his game a lot, and he's sitting there currently ninth overall. And then as you work your way down the board, the name in Ryan Rupert that nobody wants to hear me or the Brooklyn Nets say because he's out of France and there's an affinity there potentially with Sean Marks and he's long, but he's very developmental and we don't want to have to take a pick that ends up being a guy we don't see for a few years, if ever. There's also guys like Derek Lively II, who is currently 25th on the big board, certainly has the body for the NBA, the live wire body, but is going to have to work and develop key areas of his game, maybe somewhat familiar to what Nicholas Claxton has gone through over the start of his career. What does that look like as well? But the one thing that I noticed in this mock, too, was how in the range of the Nets picking, so Noah Clowney out of Alabama, we heard a little bit about him. I took a look at Leonard, uh, Leonard Miller and liked him there at 22 currently. Chris Murray out of Iowa. These are guys that are currently labeled as 19, 22, 24. They all went, they all went, you know, a little bit earlier in some mocks, a little bit later in others, but there's a shifting of the board here. And this is even beyond the network discussion that you'll see come out next month. Some of these guys go higher or lower. You have Bryce Sensible. You have uh what was it? Yeah, also sorry, excuse me, I'm losing track here. Derek Lively the second was a guy like 25th. Where do we where do you think he ends up going? And then as you stretch even further down in the back end of the first round, Derek Whitehead, another guy to think about. Colby Jones out of Xavier, another name to keep an eye on. Andre Jackson out of UConn. All the way down, though, to a guy like Gregory Jackson II, who I really like, 
And as I've looked through the prospects, think, hey, like he's a guy that could fit the Brooklyn Nets mold. He was a late submission into the draft this year. This is a player that you could dream on developing at 6'9", 215, being a bit of a versatile weapon, having value on both ends of the floor. But by the time we get to next month, these names are going to shift and move around so much that if the Brooklyn Nets are committed to getting younger and getting a player out of this draft, I think they're going to have to move either marginally up into the teens or potentially substantially up towards 10 if they really like a name up there. And that's why Royce O'Neal and Patty Mills shed those contracts, move from 21 up to 15, trade out with 22, and call it a day. Add one young player, keep a veteran here, add him into the fold with Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie still there, and sort out some of the other players that you're going to need to have here. Flip it the other way, shed Dorian Finney-Smith, Gosh, you'd love to say you shed Dorian Finney-Smith and Joe Harris and clear $33 million off the books and go find a player that makes sense. No matter what the Nets do, though, I'll close out on this idea that these players that I'm talking about, first of all, we know one thing. It's going to take time for them to develop. So when I say the new core for Brooklyn is centered around Mikhail Bridges, you have to strike the balance of not wasting a year. Right. And not wasting a year for Brooklyn means just not missing the playoffs right now. So any move that you make has to be couched in the idea. Getting rid of Royce O'Neal does make you a lesser basketball team. Marginally, depending on who you bring in. But it, it does change expectations slightly just because he's a quality veteran in the NBA. Just like with Dorian Finney-Smith, just like with a Spencer Dinwood, if you put him into a trade, just like a Cam Thomas, if you threw him into the mix on something, he's at least a microwave scorer that could steal you a few games throughout the course of a season. So those moments are going to have impact. It just matters to say, if we sacrifice the first 25, 30 games of our season in developing some younger players, what's the payoff on the back end potentially? And that's what gets me excited. Because in my mind, that's what I think the Nets should do. I would make packages around both of these picks. I would move off the veterans and I would bring in the right young talent that you can just squint and see this team getting back to and beyond the place they were in these last playoffs. And that doesn't mean that they're going to go up to a fifth seed, a fourth seed. You know, I'm not putting those things on the table. I just mean a team that when you go back and look at their record, you'll say, yeah, they're going to be able to stain 500 plus basketball throughout the course of an NBA season, knowing that they were a just under 500 basketball team after the superstar trades went down. So there is a path forward here for the Brooklyn Nets. I am very curious to see if fans get excited or deflated by that prospect. Because when you talk about building the new core around McHale, in theory, standing totally pat here, which would be disappointing for multiple reasons, but you could understand why with a 27, 28-year-old leader of your team, you don't want to necessarily jump ship on the 30-year-old veterans that can support him. I just think that the Nets need to strike that right chord of getting younger, of shedding money, and of looking at the next four years as incremental growth year over year so that by the time we're at the spot, where Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are in the final year of contracts and they're 31, going to be 32 years old, 
that were maybe peaking on whatever this team could be. And hopefully something that Sean Marks has done an excellent job of, if you are targeting quality prospects, hopefully one of those guys spikes. And all of a sudden you go and relook at the hierarchy of your team and say, it's Mikhail Bridges, it's new player X over these next couple of seasons, it's Cam Johnson, it's Nicholas Claxton, et cetera, down the line. And then we also know that we have that next wave of picks coming in at the back end of 27, 28, 29, where you continue to replenish it. This is about sustainability for the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that executing the draft efficiently, identifying three, four prospects that you really believe can have an immediate impact and doing what's necessary to go get them. In all likelihood, I think the Nets end up staying around 20 and 21, trying to shed one contract, maybe two, and then picking one of those two picks. Because it it is an ultra competitive league on draft night when a pick goes up as being available. And that's going to be the hardest thing for the Brooklyn Nets because the one thing the Nets don't want to have to do is give up future assets. They don't want to give up a pick to attach to Joe Harris to get off that contract, right? They don't want to have to give up a pick to move up the board with another player off the roster to go get X. Other teams are going to be willing to do that. Teams that feel like they just missed the playoffs but are ready to surge. Teams that came up short, like the Chicago Bulls, depending on what they choose to do this offseason. So there's going to be some very hungry, desperate teams out there. And I don't think that Sean Marks and the Nets look at it as being a desperate time for them. They look at it as being a patient time for them and hopefully a smart time where they continue to build up this roster. Get us over on YouTube in the meantime. Get us on the podcast feed. And as always, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend. And I can't wait until he's back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.